Hello and welcome to the Philosophical Gathering Podcast, Episode 2. Today we're going to talk about some stuff that's on a lot of people's minds, certainly ours, jobs in the economy. In our economic system, we have recessions every 10 years or less, maybe you didn't know that, and it's been more than 10 years since the Great Recession of 2008. It is 2020, that's 12 years, and typically the longer that is stalled, the worse it is. So there's a crash being predicted incoming anytime now. So we're facing that. They tell us the economy is great. It's not great. And we're going to talk about a little why. People work multiple jobs, multiple jobs that often we don't like to work. Sometimes we don't know our hours for the next day or the next week. Sometimes we don't have health care or we have bad health care. Sometimes we don't know if we're going to get fired or quit the next day. Sometimes we don't know if we're going to be able to pay our rent or if our rent's going to go up. So there's housing insecurity, job insecurity. Technology's been replacing workers for decades now, and that pace is speeding up. It's only going to keep speeding up. We're going to talk about that. And something that's not talked about much, but is starting to be talked about a little more, is when your economy is built on profit and growth, which ours is, that fuels production, which causes carbon emissions. So we have a spiral of carbon emissions in a for-profit economy and our economy is fundamentally at odds with solving climate change. All of these cause widening inequality, a worse quality of life for most of us, and destruction of the planet. So let's first go to, I mentioned that the economy tends to crash or have some kind of downturn every five to 10 years or so. Sometimes we call it a recession, sometimes it's a depression, depending on how severe it is. So let's just go back, I'm not gonna go back to the beginning of this country, but, Let's look at the 20th century, starting in the 1900s. There's a recession in 1902, and then you go forward five years, there's a recession in 1907, three years, 1910, go three more years, recession, 1913, recession, 1918, that's five years. Two years later, 1920, 1923 recession, 1926 recession, so this isn't stuff that's talked about much but it's public information here. Then you have the 1929 Great Depression that many of us know about. The next one is 1937 recession. That's eight years. You know, a big gap compared to some of the other ones. Then 1945, that's also eight years. 1948, three years. 1953, 1957. So we don't learn about this stuff, right? We don't hear about this stuff often. 1960 recession. 1969 recession, that's nine years. 1973 1980, 1981, 1990. This is a fundamental feature of our economic system. There's a downturn every five to 10 years. Now here's here's one, it went 11 years, 1990 to 2001, where's the recession. The next one is the one we know, 2008, the Great Recession. So seven or so years. And now that leaves us in 2020, 12 years. So you notice in all of the 20th century, there was never a period of 12 years without an economic downturn. And that's where we are right now. So I just want to open up with this article from the BBC News from September 2019, about six or so months ago. And then I'll turn it over to Andy. The U.S. Central Bank has pumped more than $200 billion into the financial system this week. This was in September 2019. The first time there's been such an intervention since 2008. So in, it had been about 11 to 12 years, and then suddenly the U.S. Central Bank has pumped $200 billion into the financial system in just a week. And it's been going on ever since that over the past several months. 
So, Andy, now let's talk about this sort of big picture of the economy, the stock market, the financial system, and let's talk about that for a little bit. Okay, well, what, uh, what, as you were going through the list of the crises, I realized I've been alive for about half of those, and that those those affect people on the ground in a real way. I mean, the, the average person... Um, never knows what hits them. You know, they get they get laid off seemingly for no reason, or they, you know, otherwise get in trouble with their debts or whatnot. But something's going on that, um, like like the song says, something's going on. You don't know what it is, and what's what's starting to happen. I mean, one of the ways that in 1913, they created a Federal Reserve so that they could mitigate against all these crashes that were periodically occurring. They were just like, what are we going to do, guys? We got, you know, all these banks, we got all this, you know, this economy, but it's always uh, getting in trouble. So they wanted to be able to have a Federal Reserve to help regulate the banks, um, in other words, get a system going. So the system that they got going, um, it largely benefited the banks, but it also it was done during a period of great industrialization. And so that there was plenty of places to invest. And there was coal mines and auto plants and steel mills and you name it, There was it was on. And uh, it was going on here more so than anywhere else in the world. This is the period where the U.S. emerged amongst all the world's uh, nations as the, as the leader. And going into World War I and then coming out and going into World War II, even though U.S. was isolationist in its policy, they were still like um, developing production at a tremendous capacity. So now we're... It was just, you know, fast forward, real fast forward to today. There's, there's uh, a real glut. These the glut is usually the reason that there's a crash because there's more things produced than can be consumed by the population. So, you know, now all all the world's population is the market. So. What's happened is that the why is this going to be a more intensive crash because it takes place on a global level. You're not just talking about like, well, the people in the U.S. won't be able to buy cars, but people all over the world are not going to be in the market for cars. And, and that that has a lot to do with technology, which we'll get into later. But uh, um, in order to keep an unstable and market, uh, an unstable stock market uh, going, they have to feed it. They have to pour money in it. It's almost like, uh, you know, if you've seen that movie, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, you know, where there's this, yeah, feed me guy, you know, thing. And then this this is what is required in this economy that has to be constantly fed. So, well, there's only so much available money. So um, the they start printing money. They they order more and more money printed. So like you say, there's billions going in on a weekly basis, billions and billions of dollars to keep this thing afloat. And what happens is all these banks, 
they have all these outstanding bad loans, bad debt that they're uh, required to cover, and they have to, in order to keep from going under, they need an infusion of money. Uh, and it's pretty much constant. It's like an addiction or something like that that they can't get off of it. They're hooked. And so people are saying, well, when this this crash comes, some people that we listen to are saying, like, the stock market's probably going to drop like 10,000 points in one day. And um, that would be, of course, catastrophic. But I don't own any stock, so it's not... Isn't going to change my reality immediately, but the thing is, I'm already one of those people you describe. But can't afford to to stay anywhere. Don't have a, a regular income. Um, so, what our concern is is, what about us? What about us? I'm not worried about Jamie Dimon where he's going to land, or. Michael Bloomberg or Donald Trump. These these people are part of the the problem, you might say. So the um yeah, you might say, wouldn't you? I mean they are. <laughs> Certainly they're billionaires. So like somebody's saying, like Bloomberg went from three billion ten years ago to a net worth of sixty billion dollars today. Now he's He's a stock fund guy, a hedge fund guy. And the way they do this is they they buy up debt. You know, a good example is Puerto Rico, where they, they had all this debt. Puerto Rico needed to borrow money to, to finance its public works and schools and whatnot. And these hedge funds loaned it to them at a rate you know, on the uh, that they couldn't afford to pay back. They couldn't even afford to pay the interest back. So the hedge funds demanded that they sell sell their schools, sell their properties, sell their assets. Um, Puerto Rico is being gentrified uh, worse than Chicago, probably. There's I don't think there's a a beach area left on Puerto Rico that you can't that you can go to if, unless you're loaded, unless you got money. So the the wealthy begin to take up more than their fair share. I mean, that's why we see this thing of the 1% and then the one-tenth of 1%, that this tiny, tiny fraction of the population controls more than half the wealth um, of the rest of the country. And in some cases, I think it's like, um more than the they they this one percent on the world stage controls um more than more than half the wealth of the of the world so it's like a worldwide problem it it whether you know it or not it's going to affect you so that's why we wanted to talk about it um because we're going to be affected. We're not we're not going to escape. This is this is coming in some form or another. So we don't want people to blame themselves for their problems. We want them to look at the the economy and realize this this whole thing is rigged against you. Um, you know, there's a reason you have, are having a hard time making it. And so that we want to get into that discussion.
it is about debt. And the one of the reasons that we I can start to examine this, start to understand it, is because um, there's a lot of bad loans out there, you know. And what what's that represent? Okay, say, and it's it's really not easy to put it on like a one one guy person thing where he he goes out and borrows money to get a car and then and then this gets bad or they repossess the car or something like that but in some ways it is like that the banks financial institutions are loaning money they're chasing bad loans they're they're they speculated on um the housing loan market you know they didn't care whether people were were uh you know financially stable enough to uh, to take a mortgage out or and they the one had loaned the money anyway and then that became a, a debt that wasn't going to get repaid and then whoa you got trouble so the the, the individual gets trouble he's got repossessed he gets repossessed home he gets evicted but then the bank has a, a a a house that's worth very little that they loan money on. Uh, say they loan two hundred two hundred thousand dollar mortgage, and the house is only now worth one hundred seventy five. So they're carrying bad debt. They need infusion of cash to keep their finances uh, whole. And so in this country now, something something like one and uh, or something like what is it, Leslie? Seven out of ten car loans are going bad or going under. I mean, there's a there's a big there's a big gap in the uh, in the car loan thing where people they're driving around on cars that they're they're behind on their payments. That's you got to multiply all these things by a million times. Yeah. Let, yeah, yeah well, let me interrupt. Um, this is Leslie. Um, well, one of the things too that we need to consider is. Like there is $14 trillion of debt in the country. Most of that is corporate debt, not the individual debt. We, we can't rack it up as much, you know. I mean, they're all, we can only consume so much. But everybody's in debt. I mean, the whole country is built on debt. If you can't pay for things and you're getting credit card uh, solicitations in the mail where well, you're going to turn to the credit cards. You've got to use them. The whole country is afloat in debt. So, it, But it's not an individual concern. I think that's the thing that they like to do. They like to point, you know, like they tried to blame the whole crisis last time on uh, people, you know, uh, homeowners who shouldn't have bought a home. Right, uh, right. When, yeah, I believe that was one of uh, Hillary Clinton's lines. You know, she was talking to Wall Street, people on Wall Street, and she said, you know, they should have known better to not get these loans. Mm. Well, and and it's ridiculous because people were looking for houses and they were actually conned into a lot of these setups. But be that as it may, it wasn't them that precipitated the crisis. And I think that that's what's important. I mean, this is on a massive scale. And like right. I said, most of that $14 trillion is corporate debt. But the other, there's other, like, I don't know what it is, 1.3 or something like that trillion in student debt. I mean, we've got huge numbers of people, and it's not just young people anymore. I mean, people over 60 are still afloat in student debt. 
So, I mean, you know, if you need, if you want to get a job now, they say, if you want to get a, uh, you've got to have a college education to get a good paying job. So how is, how are a lot of these people going to pay for the college? I mean, there's the jobs that their parents had, um, you know, used to be that uh, parents could actually afford to pay for people's college. Well, if the parents lost their jobs, if the, the jobs that are, you know, the good jobs are gone. So the ability to pay for, you know, your kid to go to college is, is disappearing. So people have no choice but to go into debt. There's such a huge percentage of delinquencies right now, uh, you know, of cars that when you see debt at this level, we're not talking about one guy's irresponsible. We're talking about a whole system that is set up on that, that this is the way we provide for ourselves. And when you think about it, it's really a user, usury, you know, type of system because, you know, you know, you're like, for instance, the, the corporations go to the banks. They got zero, less than zero yeah. percent interest now on their, their loans. Right. You, you try to, you use a credit card and you're going to have huge interest payments. So, and you know, if you miss a payment, you're going to go to 38%. Yeah. So, so we're constant, you know, we're constantly forced more and more, the ordinary person into amassing huge amount of debt. But the corporations, it's not any concern of theirs. Even not, like if you look at 2008, just real briefly, you know, who got bailed out? Who came out of that thing unscathed? Right. I mean, it, corporations folded, layoffs, whatever. But the CEOs and the people with all of the wealth did not, um, you know, there weren't a lot of them jumping out the window like we imagine the people did. Yeah, and the, the only other thing I wanted to say, as you were sort of listing the various recessions that we've had, you know, um, that that's actually a little bit deceptive because, like, look at the last 12 years. It's not just complete smooth sailing. It is a bubble. But for many people, we've been ruined. I mean, you know, they're... they're you don't get to be counted. They don't say, well, there was a recession and that's why you lost your job. But look at all the people you know who have been downsized, whether they wanted to be or not, either because they lost their job or their pay is not keeping up with their expenses. So, you know, like you had quoted that. I mean, half the country is contingent, part-time, contracting or minimum wage type of work. So this this is all within that bubble. The bubble's a false kind of concept in a way. It makes you think everybody's doing well. But there are people, there are people making a lot of money, but it but it's not the masses of right. people. Well I just I want to touch just once I'll go back a little <laughs> bit on the on the uh global debt is now uh, 57 trillion and it's it's growing constantly there's there's no ends in sight uh and the fact is that uh 15% of all financial flow now g goes into the economy that makes things in other words like only 15% it used to be like you're an investor. You're an investor. Well, find me a gold mine and a and a 
coal mine and a this and a that and a railroad, and I'll you know I'll sink some money into it. But now the the actual production, well, we can look at coal, for instance. I mean, Trump, you know, the whole thing running around Appalachia. We're going to bring back good old coal. You know, <laughs> it's like beautiful clean coal. Beautiful clean coal. <laughs> There's no goddamn way you're going to bring back coal. It's like uh, it's obsolete. People don't want it. It's po- uh, pollutant. But you can't make you can't make money on it because you know the whole game is switched now. So what what does a potential evil capitalist want to do with all that money? You know they have to put it somewhere. So they realize that there's no sense in putting it into production. Because we have an a overproduction crisis that's just growing, so you put it into invest in that in that debt bubble. In other words, like well, there's going to be people needing money, so they're going to have to borrow it. So they're you're going to get in and you're going to loan it to them at a certain rate. And even if your margins are are slim, if that's the only game in town, then it's just going to keep clawing at you know pretty soon thin air because there's not there's nothing really substantive underneath all this speculation but like again the only thing i care about personally is like what it's going to do to the to the world's population what we see happening in the rest of the world is war and uh refugees and just displacement i read the other day the some the displacement of is up into the hundreds and hundreds of millions of people now that that are just roaming the world looking for a a, a place to work or eat or to get shelter, and so these are real world consequences when the world is run by speculative capitalists who who don't suffer at all. You know, um, in fact, they're there's more billions more billionaires created right that's that's odd well gee things must be going good if we got more billionaires no this 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 just a this is an indication of uh the the value of money getting less and less so being a billionaire ain't what it used to be but it also is an indication of the sh- the shrinking of the general population's participation in the economy at all. other economic system humans have ever lived under because this one is actually getting rid of human labor. It may not be complete yet as there are still jobs for humans, but to understand this moment in history we need to understand the significance of this process going on before our eyes. 
Our main concern about this transformation in the economy is the fact that millions of people are being made redundant each day. The jobs that are disappearing are not coming back, and there will not be replacement jobs created. So if, if we see that this is what's happening, it sort of answers, well, why is there speculation? I mean, you know, people can only consume so much. Now, we could consume more, like I'd like a house and a car, things like that I can't afford. But that's not what consumption is based on. It's based on you got to have the money to buy it. So what happens when the population cannot consume the high productivity? I mean, if robots are are cranking out these products faster than ever before. Um, but who's there to get a wage that can go out and consume? I mean, all you have to do is look at the auto industry as an right. example. Did you want to say something, Mandy? You look like you Well, I think that's, I mean, some of these uh, futurist projections that we've heard for, you know, half a century or something like that. I mean, I go, Alvin Toffler and stuff like that. The whole idea was that these technologies were going to be introduced. They were going to tr transform everything, but they were also going to create free everything for everybody in abundance. There's these guys we listened to last night. I can't remember their name. They wrote a book called Abundance, and they're sitting there talking about like, yeah, it's go everything. People just got to get over their fear of technology because it's going to make everything better. And it's going to be free, and it's going to be this, it's going to be that. I'm like going, I like technology. I like the iPhone. I like all the technology. But increasingly, I'm not a viable uh, consumer. I'm not a, I'm not the market for that stuff. I mean, some there's a shrinking market for that. And there's these futurists that tell us everything is going to be taken care of by technology itself are actually lying because um, what they're doing, instead of building free housing and stuff like that, they're, they're putting a camera on every goddamn corner and, you know, invading your privacy 24-7. So it's like, quit telling me it's, you know, it's all going to be good, you know. And we need to, we need to look at this seriously because the, the, if we believe that story, then we'll we'll go down the wrong path. Well, I, I think it's important. Let's just look in Chicago if we want to see how this has really impacted us. Um, you know, how things changed over the last 70 years. Um, now, in 1960 in Chicago, um, more than a half a million people in Chicago worked in manufacturing. Well... That's been reduced uh, significantly. There's fewer than 9% of Chicagoans are working now uh, in manufacturing. Um, also, uh, that, was one, yeah, that was one third of the jobs at that time. Now it's 9%. Uh, in several communities, including the far southeast ones of Hedgewich, is that, that's how yeah, you say Hedgewich. Hedgewich and East Side. They were home to steel mills, and that sector employed more than half of all working residents. So, you know, when these factories closed, like on the south and the west sides of Chicago, 
nothing's come back to Nothing. replace these. I mean, the only thing in town is this real estate speculation, which this is uh, not money that is helping any of our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. I mean, the gentrification is, you know, the result of some of this speculation, and they're beautified and everything. But then, you know, the influx that we have of people that are, you know, mostly white, college-educated, um, you know, to take the the good jobs, the better jobs, the tech jobs, or the ones that require, you know, uh, uh, a fresh college education, right? Those are being taken by these students that are coming out of the Midwestern universities. So that's the influx we have into Chicago. But what we have are all these communities where people were, you know, their whole lives were based on these jobs from the past, they haven't come back. So, you know, we have these tremendous pockets of poverty in the South Side, West Side in particular. But um, I was going to give you a few more, like, facts about, uh, like, here's, according to a recent, uh, this was uh, UIC research, in 1970, roughly half the city was considered middle income. Can you believe that? Half of the city of Chicago was considered middle income. Uh, in 2017, that distinction applied to just 16% of Chicago. Income segregation and extreme concentrated poverty has become more pronounced. So we see what we see all over the world, which is this increase in inequality. We see it graphically here in Chicago. Chicago's a huge economy all by itself. It has the economy uh, equivalent to the whole country of Switzerland. Um, so we're a microcosm, you might say, of what is happening, you know, the results of technology um, to our lives. So, um, oh, just to give you some uh, information too, like coming up in 2020, there's already, um, I think it was the Chicago Tribune announced that there's 1,500 layoffs that have been announced. So, you know, there's, you know, we can look at the whole country and see that um, 7 million people lost their jobs uh, in layoffs from 2004 to 2009. So, you know, this is something more, that all this is happening during the bubble, so to speak, right, to all of these layoffs and all of this job threatening. I want to shift for a minute and go down to the, so you're kind of talking about the big picture, and I want to talk about the jobs, you know, the micro picture. So in our lives, what are our jobs like? And, you know, a lot of what we see in the big picture with technology and speculation and stuff like that explains a lot of why our jobs are like a certain way, why the job economy, I guess, is a certain way. So I would just like to talk for a little bit, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners could relate to how jobs are in Chicago, in this country, in, in the world, you know, because most of us are not seeing these great paying jobs. And I have these, I have this statistic right here. Almost 80% of U.S. workers live paycheck to paycheck. That's mm -hmm. from The Guardian yeah. recently. Wow. And um, subtitle, America doesn't have a jobs crisis. It has a good jobs crisis where too much employment is insecure and poorly paid. So, there are a lot of jobs, like they say, you know, unemployment by certain measures. There aren't necessarily a lot of people who are out of work, although the statistics vary 
depending on how you go about determining them. But there are a lot of people working, but a lot of people are working jobs they don't like. They're working multiple jobs. They're working jobs with no health insurance. And I've been thinking the past few years about how so many jobs, it used to be, you know, manufacturing is this big way that you would earn a living, a middle income or whatever. But now if you go around the city of Chicago, there are so many jobs in the service industry. And I've noticed there's just everything seems to be you're serving things. It's food, it's drinks. And who are we serving? You know, it's the people who are speculating on the economy. So just a thought I've had and been thinking about for a while. And these are the jobs that most people have. It's service jobs and it's multiple jobs. So I I would just like to talk for a minute about that. And maybe you could even ask me questions, you know, I'm a different generation than you and going through some different struggles. But well, just one thing, you know, about this uh, um, unemployment thing. I think I was um, reading this article the other day and it refreshed uh, my memory that when Trump was running, you know, for office, he was saying how these unemployment or the employment statistics were all phony and fake. And, you know, it was just so that the presidents or politicians could brag about, you know, what a great job they'd done for he the said economy. That when he was yeah, yeah, he said yeah. that when he was uh, running. And, that was and now he's turning around and doing the same thing. You know, these mm-hmm. figures are not correct. I mean, that you know, I think officially, if you haven't looked for a job in the last four weeks, you're not even counted. They have all kinds of ways in mm-hmm. which they, you know, like, you know, figures don't lie, but liars can figure. And that's what happens with these unemployment statistics. And it's like you say, though. I mean, people are working several jobs or bad jobs. I mean, they're, we're underemployed. Well, I was I was in a coffee shop the other day. It wasn't Starbucks, but it was a nice little neighborhood coffee shop. And I was having a conversation with this guy and uh, looked around the room and I said, probably everybody in here, all these young people here are contingency workers or some kind of service workers. They're not, they didn't just punch out, you know, from a, you know, industrial site and, you know, bring their lunch bucket home or something like that. And um, they, they work like sort of like just on demand. I guess that's what Mm -hmm. like a kind of a contingency worker is like a, you know more about it like you say like a, uh there's there's part-time everything right so that that's insecurity in and of itself if you don't know where your next meal is coming from or next gig is coming from you're going to be insecure uh yeah freelancers and independent contractors make up so many of the jobs now yeah, yeah but, and they're I mean, counting. I, I, they're I, counting I, all that as employment. And yeah, and right. like I'm a, an example of. I mean, I'm 73 and I'm still working part time collecting Social Security so that I can, you know, we can afford to pay our rent and can't quit. And we're trying to figure out, well, how can I? If I have to quit, how are we going to make it? And I think a lot of people are in that situation that are older as well. I'll pick up the slide. Well, I saw, I saw this report, you know, where it said people over um, 50, that 60% of the people who had, you know, pretty good jobs that were over 50 have lost them. They got laid off. And so they have to go out and they cannot get a job comparable to what they had. 
and people use up all their resources while they're looking for work. You know, they use up all their 401ks or whatever, right? You know, that which wasn't ruined with the 2008 downturn. So, you know, I, you know, wonder how anybody makes it with a family today. And, you know, I mean, I we're getting, like I said, we get Social Security. So without that, I don't know how anybody makes it. So you said you're, so you're working a part-time job, so you're counted in the people who are employed. I'm obviously and, counted. And then other people yeah. who are working all these part-time jobs, maybe they're not making enough, they're also counted in this. So this is what they say is a good economy. You know, Trump and the news say, this is a good economy. The numbers are up. Economy's good. And we're working part-time at all these different jobs, and we're not sure if we're going to make it. So that's that's what is called the good economy. That's right. what they say to us. The most re- one of the most ridiculous and indicative things I saw recently was that people are actually doing uh, dumpster diving and then washing the goods off that they find if they're still sealed, and then they're selling them on Amazon. And they and they they count that as an employment. Yeah, Etsy's counted as employment. So you, you're, you know, I'm I'm looking around. I'm saying like, how they're making it, and they're making it any way they can. It's yeah. it's like um, it's really rough. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I can remember uh, when I I forget what year I got laid off. It was around 2000, I think. But I was looking in the paper and there was nothing. I mean, there weren't even any listings. Now, I think that's improved today, has it? I, I don't I know. I have looked at the one ads in a long time. Several times in the past few years, I've actually gone on Craigslist for Chicago and looked yeah. at jobs. Yeah. And there's so many, I mean, I think there's even a book, I haven't read it, by the same bullshit jobs. Yeah. Maybe even most of the jobs are just bullshit jobs. And if you go on Craigslist Chicago or really anywhere probably, and you look at the jobs, what jobs are there? Like you can look in different categories, writing, education, technology, whatever. And you just look and I don't know, it just seems to me you scroll down, scroll down, you click the things and read the descriptions. And it just seems like there's not many substantive jobs. There's not many fulfilling jobs. There's not many jobs that pay well, not many jobs that offer insurance. There's not many jobs that you can be secure for a long period of time in. There's all these like, you know, we need to hire you for a minute to do this thing um we're not going to tell you your hours but you know it's a job there's um so there's all these jobs that again freelancing independent contracting part-time piecemeal jobs and we're supposed to be happy that you know oh there are all these jobs the economy is great unemployment's low but it's just to to us to people who are working there's really not a lot of jobs because i mean there's a lot of jobs but they're crap, so yeah. <laughs> they're not real things to do for people. That's right. Yeah, one of the things, too, that I think I uh, should say in terms of looking at this big picture of what's happening with um, automation is that there's going to be fewer and fewer jobs. So if we think it's bad now, it's only going to yeah. get worse. And, you know, I, I mean, in reading up for our little discussion here, I was like uh, shocked to see all the various categories that are going to get hit. I mean, the service industry in particular is really, I mean, we've already seen it with the kioshes coming into a lot of the service stuff, but all kinds of industries um, that were human labor was needed are going to be phased out in favor of automation. 
you don't have to pay them, right? Um, and the transportation industry, huge. With the, and, and people think, oh, there'll never really be self-driving cars. They're already here. They're already on the road, and it's just a matter of time, maybe even just a few years before they're quite a feature in our life. And other big areas, too, like clerical and financial. I mean, we, we talk about Chicago being a big financial center. Well, a lot of these jobs that people have right now, even good-paying jobs that these college-educated kids, right, are taking, they're, gonna, they're threatened as well. Some people don't know it, but they're slated for redundancy. So we have to take all that into consideration when we look at the overall picture that most of us face. Yeah, well, I think that that's true. I think that the, some of this uh, futurism, again, it's like it predicts all these uh, changes. Like 70% seven, of the people in the United States, and I think that's one justification for talking about all this stuff over and over again or you know, just trying to create a drumbeat about it, is that... 70% of people don't believe they're going to be affected at all. And they already are being affected and they don't, they don't know it because, I mean, the futurists are the, uh, I mean, the powers that be would prefer that you think, well, what's coming is uh, everybody's going to have an electric flying car <laughs> and it's going to cost you nothing to get from here to there. You're all, you're all going to be doing solar and drinking free bubble up. And it's like, Oh, that sounds good. You know, I'm I'm down for that. So I think that the uh, the reassuring lies are being sold at this point because uh, they obviously they don't want to tell people what's really more likely, and that you're going to be uh, laid off, possibly homeless, uh, and because that will just stir up social unrest, which they're. They're also preparing for that, but I don't want to go into that now. But uh, the the notion that that you can get a job like you used to in Chicago, get laid off or fired in the afternoon and get another one the same day, which used to be true. People told me that for years. This is nothing to get a job here. And it wasn't. There were jobs. Um, now, for the average person, the high school graduate or something, so they tell everybody go to college. Well, you know what? It's worked its way there, too. So the kids who paying at the wazoo for a college loan that, that they can never get out from under, and they, they're into debt for like $50,000, $200,000, and they're going to be retirement age before they get rid of that debt well, because they can't get the yeah they can't get a job in their field they can't get a job that pays enough to carry to carry that to service that debt and pay their basic living expenses and i know that firsthand from my kids i don't want to go into this too much right now for another episode perhaps but i did want to point out real fast you know, I have worked, as you know, in schools, in public schools for the past six years or so. So I hear the promise, you know, this is what we're told. This is what I was told also going to school. It's what people have been told going to school for a long time. You know, you do your job, you do your work, 
you get the certificate, you get the award, you get the grades, you get the points, you go, you know, to the next level and you do the same thing there. And then eventually you, you know, you serve your time, uh, and you get your job and that you're secure for life. That that's the promise. So I've, I've heard over the past, I don't know, my whole life, as long as I've been paying attention in schools, but as long as I've been working in schools for the past six or so years, I hear over and over again, and I see on the walls, and I see here on the announcements, you know, you always got to do what you're supposed to. And if you do that, then you can get a job in the future, and it's going to be the job that you like and the job that you want and the job that's going to pay. But the thing is, yeah, for most people, it's not true anymore. It, I don't think it was ever true. It was, it was more true in the past, though, and it's becoming less and less true. So I see every day these students going through schools like, you know, factories being churned out and promised over and over again, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, then you're going to have a good life. And that's not true anymore. One thing I think of, too, um, it's like if I designed the world, there's all kinds of jobs that need doing. I mean, we could put everybody to work in some kind of capacity or another, working alongside with the technology to do something about what's happening to our planet. I mean, there's an abundance of work and taking care of human beings, mm -hmm. right? But there are people who need help and they can't afford to get anybody to come in and help them, right? I mean, seniors and disabled people and stuff. Um, so it's not like there's nothing to do. We could have employment. And I think the problem for us is we're faced with this small 1% who own you know, half, what is it, half the world's wealth. They run the whole show. This is their design. We don't have a hold of this economy. We who are the majority do not, we can't control it. We, we don't control it. So there's a, in terms of what to do, I mean, I'm not saying I know exactly what to do tomorrow, but we need to start thinking about our future and how we're going to secure our future on this planet. And it's going to mean that we're going to have to start thinking outside of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party to come in and save the day. Yeah, we're, obviously we're, that's not going to happen. No, I mean, we're going to have to have a different kind of a, a society, and we're going to have to be able to control this economy. Yeah, I think just in healthcare, education, and infrastructure alone, most people yeah, could be doing things. Yeah. So oh, right. there's stuff to do, but the people who would be doing the stuff and need the stuff being done, you know, the majority of people aren't deciding what the jobs are. So a small amount of people who have the stuff and are, you know, basically trying to make money decide what these jobs are. That's why I go on Craigslist and I see, <laughs> you know, all these terrible jobs. And it's like, why is this a job? Right. You know, it's right. because someone wants to make money off of some scheme. Right. And I think that's kind of our economy in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. It's just, right. you know, what we were talking about. It's just a big scheme to make money. And we're not doing the things that we need to do and that we want to do. 
Right. If you think about yeah. human society, you know, creating an economy, well, the whole logic of that is, well, we need certain things to survive, and therefore we organize uh, around our tools of production to be able to supply ourselves with the things we need to survive. Well, all of that is, is gone awry. It's completely crazy. You know, things are being produced like never before, but people can't afford them. They can't consume them. And in the meantime, the things that we need as a society, maybe our whole survival depends upon it, is just going begging. There is no job there. I mean, that, that's the other thing. You mentioned, Andy, a couple of times, and I think it's important for us to realize how we're being governed. I mean, what happens when you're on top of an economy that doesn't need all these people anymore? Yeah. Then what do you do with them? I think that's a question we'll be exploring a lot on this podcast because it's yes. very pertinent. Yeah, I think that you're, you're, the idea of like uh, going along to get along has always been a, um, a, you know, a recommendation from you know parents. Like I, I had a lot, of, a lot of my friends. I grew up in an area that was demographically like Chicago, Erie, Pennsylvania, and uh, kids that I went to school with came from uh, sharecropping families in Mississippi. You know, they'd pick cotton when they were kids. Um, they came from uh, Poland. Their parents were from Poland or Romania or other parts of Europe. They, they, they were, a lot of them were children of immigrants of different kinds of, and they always told their kid, you know, learn English, do well in school, and you know, be be resourceful and and don't don't be a screw up, and you'll get along and you'll get you'll get somewhere in the United States, and even people my age uh, who followed that formula did did okay. Some of them, some of them did okay. I, uh, but that but that the game changing thing uh, is that 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 means that you're competing now not with just some you know student who's more or less your peer you're competing with slavery and a and a robotic uh system that can do most of the crap that you can do twice as fast 10 times as fast 100 times as fast and you know i mean the, like whole whole sections of the of of industry have been just completely destroyed. I worked in graphic arts. Um, Photoshop came along, and I mean, I went and went into places where the coffee was still in the cups because they just laid off everybody, you know, in one fell swoop. I mean, it destroyed uh, Kodak, the great, you know, maker of film and cameras, you know, Kodak had something like 70,000 employees or something, and they're all gone. It's all over. Kodak's over, period. Shikaboom. You know, you, you can spend extra money buying vintage Kodak equipment, and you can't get... Then you have to spend 10 times as much to get film for it. So, I mean, it's, it's like things have moved, but they've moved uh, not just incrementally. They've moved exponentially into a new era that we don't hardly 
know what it is. And that brings us to our concept of the philosophical gathering. We have to come together and think about what to do about this stuff. Right. Because if we don't, if we just kind of keep going along, this is going to get worse and worse. It's not just going to get better. No one's going to save us. So we have to figure out what we have to talk about this stuff right. and confront it honestly and then figure out what to do about it. Right. right. Yeah, well, I think like some of the things that, well, I'm just going to stick my nose out here because I, I thought about a lot about our discussions and stuff, and I thought, well, should it be, should it be this, should it be that, should it be funny, should we model it after funny things? And it's like, well, there's there's humor in the, you know in this predicament that we're in, and we and we laugh to keep ourselves going and stuff. It's it's not all totally dark or something, and I don't like gloom and doom. But to bring any hope at all. I think it requires us to look at stuff honestly. And I, I, my heart goes out to people. I know young people who are dutifully working away, who are holding down a family life, who are also uh, going to school and working and doing everything they can, and they're getting good grades and they're doing everything they're supposed to do. And yet I, I don't think that, the end result is going to be that they become quote unquote successful. I think they're going to have more and more difficulty holding their head above, just holding their head above water. We're just treading water here, you know? And uh, so that's, that's not a good position to be in, but if you know about it, let's do it. Let's talk. Yeah. I just want to echo that. We have to talk. The time is now. Um, that. If you want to know what keeps you, what keeps me going, is trying to uh, unify us and and get together and talk about this, and that's the only thing really that keeps me going, because like you say, it isn't going to get better unless we do. I mean, we're living in serious times, and it's a shame, and maybe we're not up to the task, but it does fall to us. Our our future is up to us. Thank you.